Picture the scene. It's summer 2022. Nadim Ramali has just arrived at his new club. Probably after his first training session, he looked around the Holia Legion of Kielce and thought to himself, yeah, I could imagine a second leg of the quarterfinal of the Champions League, scoring seven goals, leading my team, and Kielce will qualify for the final four. Well, that's exactly what happened. But there's just one, one problem. Nedi Mremeli was on the wrong team. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour and uh, our little post-quarterfinal roundup, as well as bringing you the final part of the live show we did last week celebrating 200 episodes of the podcast. It's Chris here, joined by Brian Gabbian. Hello, Chris. And Alex Gulesh. I'm moved to tears with that opening dialogue, Chris. It's, uh, it's beautiful. Good one, huh? <laughs> the other side of it is uh, Petr Nanadic is going to be watching that game from a nice hotel room or a nice apartment in Paris, sipping away at his espresso, looking at his uh, former teammates all mm. rumble in Poland. Yeah. Wow. So it's... Barcelona, Kielce, Magdeburg, and PSG off to Cologne for the, what was it, 17th and 18th of June? Yeah. The HF Final Four. The old Truck Scout 24 itself. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> where do we want to start in this little uh, wrap up? I think there's, there's only there's two games to choose from, really. Yeah, well, we, I, I have, I have a lot to, I have a lot of things that have impressed me, and I have a lot of things that have disappointed me. But I think it's before we get into that, uh, I think it's probably worth starting in Magdeburg, where, um, Chris, you had your wet dream finally come true. <laughs> <laughs> of work with me on site, I know. Yeah, uh, he said it to me after the game. <laughs> Of traveling no, for ten hours straight before working, yeah, oh, yeah. amazing. Now, for, for oh, those of you who don't know Chris O'Reilly, Chris O'Reilly loves an old Dutchman, and uh, there's been one Dutchman who, since we spoke to him first back at the Euro 2020, was that right? That's right. Um, he was a him and a young a young man called Luke Stein sat down with him. We're talking about Kai Smiths here. Kai Smiths and Luke Stein sat down with us at a Euro in 2020, and. They were coming to that Euro being kind of like, I suppose, no names really compared to what they are now in the world of handball. Fast forward to to right now and it looks like Kai Smiths and Luke Steins are in the top 10 players in the world. I don't know, maybe even top five. Uh, lighting and, up the final four. I've been like, now we're going to see season, I'm going to be like, absolutely lighting up the final four. And I mean, that's a like, performance by Kai Smith yesterday was probably the best we've ever seen from him. 14 goals, two assists, and it just looked like every ball he touched, it was just 
turn into fire. I don't. Do you play NBA Jam back in the day on the Nintendo? <laughs> yeah. When yeah, you used to go on fire, he he, he's on fire. fire, and that was very much like uh, what I felt like watching him out there. I mean, just so dynamic, just so explosive, and the man can jump as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, just the perfect performance. And I was b- backstage when Bennett Vigert was hugging all the players, and um, Kai Smith walked in carrying the balls and a few a few sweaty jerseys with him as well as well as the player of the match award and gave him a very extra long hug and oh, uh, a yeah, big massive big massive wet kiss right in his forehead so it was a bit of a special attention there from the from the main man Bennett Riegert but uh, I, Chris you must be very happy now that Magdeburg are in the final four <laughs> for years you've been blowing their trumpet well you know it's almost a bit too easy for them isn't it they come in, come in the first season and uh, stumble their way in. And the funny thing is, they they had the the easiest of paths, you would say, on paper, getting to the final four. But it actually, of the two, four teams that qualified, they had the toughest uh, challenge in the quarterfinal in the end, due to the injury problems they've had. And little did we know at the beginning of the season when. You had Omar Ingi Magnussen at right back. You had Gisley Christiansen at centre back and Philip Faber at left back playing, you know, 90% of the games and Magnus Augstrup on the line. That you would, in that, <laughs> at the end of the season, it would be Kai Smits, uh, Mikael Damgaard, Christian O'Sullivan, and Lucas Meister <laughs> leading the team. <laughs> that's what I'm hyper impressed with about it mm. that those four guys in the diamond of the attack in the center were the ones that that led them in there and uh, yeah I, you know Kai Smith's had this kind of once in a I would say once in a lifetime performance that you know to go seven from eight in both halves like two individual man of the match performances in one game and I said it on the commentary, I was like, surely he can't keep this going at halftime. And he not only did he do that, but he did the exact same thing again and scored some ridiculous goals, which, I mean, that one towards the end of the first half was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. I have to watch that in like I, five I, times, slow-mo. I, I still don't understand what he did. And he didn't understand what he did as well. He said after the game, he was like, I was just trying to not hurt myself. <laughs> as he spun through the air. Catching his own rebound. And, uh, you know, that was the only miss he had in the first half. And he caught the rebound from it and scored. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. What a performance from the guy. And uh, Potsko made it so difficult for him in the second half as well. But he deserves a shed load of credit. As does Mikkel Damgaard as well, who set the tone right from the beginning. Eight goals. Lucas Meister with four. And then after that, it was a bunch of uh, players who scored one goal. So there wasn't much coming in the attack from, from the rest of them. Uh, yeah. I mean, just, just a great game. Like, there's so many things to pick from it. Potts did everything they could. You know, huge credit to them as well. Made a few, like, a few too many turnovers in the first half. A few bad decisions shooting-wise and passing-wise towards the end, which I think cost them. Uh, but I think they can be very proud of themselves. And the 600 Płock fans that traveled all the way over and were looming right above my head for the entire game who showered me in 
blue and white balloons at throw off, <laughs> which is uh, like my whole area, just balloons falling on top of my head for the first minute of the game. Uh, thankfully, that was the only thing they threw. Um, I was slightly worried they might get angry, but I think, uh, yeah, they they kind of accepted the game for what it was in the end. Just an amazing, an amazing atmosphere, an amazing occasion. And I think in a game like that, for also the crowd in Magdeburg, that will make all those fans and the players fall in love with the competition. I guess moments like that and experiences like that, they're like, wow, you know, when Kiel come or Berlin come or Leipzig come, the fans don't do that to us like that. That was a whole new experience for the fans as well uh, that they probably hadn't experienced properly since, you know, 2002 and Vesprem. So, yeah, great, great evening all around. Yeah, it didn't feel like the, the Poiscans were, I mean, they were obviously disappointed at the end of it, but the vibe you were getting after the game was kind of like, this has been an incredible season for us. Yeah. Getting this far, pushing Magdeburg all the way, I mean, they really did push them the whole game as well. I mean, uh, maybe in different circumstances, maybe you could you could imagine if Kai Smiths had only eighty percent of that performance, that it might it might have been a draw at the end of it and have gone to penalties or whatever. But um, they obviously have a cup final to look forward to as well. So it's been it's been a really really good season for them, and I think they've really showed that they belong in the Champions League. So uh, great club, great great supporters. And uh, it was a it was a brilliant a brilliant quarterfinal. Yeah, definitely. I have to give it a, give it up to Kusaratov as well, who was oh, unbelievable. Yeah. He might be the best backcourt shooter in the world, right? A traditional backcourt shooter. Yeah. Um, where it's like the big yeah, they, guy who just you give the ball to, and he'll he'll just jump over everyone and lump it into the top corner. He did that a couple of times, and he had a really good game. He had eight goals, but I think four. Basically, the first 50 minutes, he was on a 100% shooting rate. And then as Plotz got a little, little bit more desperate and uh, Magdeburg's defense got more aggressive. And I have to really shout out Christian O'Sullivan. You know, we, we love Christian O'Sullivan on this podcast, but I think him defensively, he was just the boss. It, it, it's interesting to have a slightly smaller uh, playmaker be actually the boss of defense both vocally both in his actions and in the way that the defense kind of became more aggressive to shut down those long shots from the likes of Kasaratov and Tin Lucine um, was really impressive led, led by Christian Sullivan even though he didn't have okay. the greatest game of attack is he did so much more in the classic Swiss Army knife uh, way that he oh yeah he does it even a couple of steals as well um, another shout out for Płock and maybe a player that it would have been nicer to see him earlier in the game, uh, Dmitry Zhitnikov, who provided the best assist I've ever seen. Full stop. Did you guys see that? I've not, recall I've it. not seen that. Walk through it again, lads. Lads, you have to. Oh my, lad, oh my goodness. Right, I'm gonna find the exact time on the game because it's on the highlights as well, where it's actually disgustingly good. So he spins, he spins the defender, looks like he's going to take the shot, and then like the keeper starts moving, follows the the arm like he's going to take the shot, and then he just like dumps it sideways across to the line. As Sergio, who scores the goal, just an absolute thing of beauty. If you go to the uh, the highlights on the Home of Handball YouTube channel. 
and you skip for it's only three minutes long in total anyway so it's uh so we well doing, worth doing it. this doing this live on the podcast are we doing that we're doing live, <laughs> live, on the podcast. live just, uh, just so you find the time the time stamp do you want do you want to see it <laughs> maybe it's not the best one ever <laughs> no, no, no 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 he's backtracking now. no 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 <laughs> I'm no, I'm going to cut this, <laughs> clip this up and put it on okay. social media and say this is the best assist ever. So, yeah, you go into the uh, the Humble Humble channel and look for that highlight video. I've put it in the WhatsApp group there. One minute 34 in the video and five minutes and four seconds in the actual second half. That is that is pretty the, nice. It's a spin. I think you uh, understated the fact and a, It's a spin and the dump pass. I think it's everything. And steps. That's that's incredible, huh? <laughs> I think it is steps. I think it's four, but anyway. Sure, who cares anymore? No one cares about four steps anymore. Zhitnikov's going to sign for gay gay. Everyone is taking five steps these days. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that's beautiful, amazing. though. It is a bit of, a bit of ballerina style. Anything else on uh, Potsk and Magdeburg before we go? Oh, well, one thing for me. Magnus Augstrup back in the squad. Uh, Philip Weber was in the squad. Oscar Bergendahl was in the squad. We wondered whether there was some kind of weird uh, tactical or, you know, mind games approach from Bennett Vigor. Turned out to be maybe a little bit of both. And um, now I fully believe that Gisley Christiansen will be back for the final four <laughs> because watching him in the arena yesterday, there's no, he's going to do everything in his power to be available. It's, Whatever. It's true. Well, it needs like, to be done. It's what it was. It like, well, you, ligament in his ankle or something broken ankle what is what's the problem <laughs> um i didn't actually undisclosed I, yeah, but he's but he's wearing a, one of those boots he's like you know boot, ah yeah but yeah but uh, i mean sure that can mean anything that means he, his feet are colder <laughs> no, but but it is like that's a really good point because um magdeburg had to they had their insane injury bad luck they had to get through this game but they have a month to get those mm-hmm. players back. Like a month is a decent amount of time. Weber actually played in that game. He had a shot. Yeah. Um, Oscar Bergendahl, I think, was a more short-term injury. Sextrup seems to be kind of back on the mend enough to do a yeah. warm-up. So a month is well, he, good enough. He played a bit. In a, he played in attack a few times and he played in defense as well for yeah. a couple of minutes. So, so, hey, that's plenty. That's uh, it, wasn't a, it was enough to suggest that like he's definitely close to being fully fit exactly so all those players are back um are probably going to be back christiansen yeah let's see um that that's going to be a a tougher one it looked like a pretty bad injury when it happened um right. and magnuson um yeah he'll, he'll still be out but ah, who needs him you probably, you probably don't him? want him at this point <laughs> yeah you just you don't want to do anything to unsettle guys mitts just let him let him be because i was kind of it's a good point because I I did was kind of thinking you know well done Magdeburg but yeah you you you'll reach your final four and be happy about it but um, a month is a lot of time to get their players back and actually be a real challenge in that final four but ultimately the the other three te- teams that are that advanced were just out of this world they were like levels of ahead of. And it may be obvious to say this, but there are levels ahead of every other team in in this round. And like two two ties that we thought were going to be close were Kjell Sveshbrem and 
Kiel versus PSG, but Kielsa and PSG were just, again, like miles ahead. Really tactically, um, physically, dynamically, just miles ahead. Uh, it wasn't even close. And I want to start with saying how impressed I was with those two teams before I dive in and say how disappointed I was with the, the teams that didn't progress. <laughs> Because I want to highlight them. And I have to say, um, PSG just were unbelievable. Like, they really were... They impressed me the most out of of every team in this quarterfinal. They impressed me the most. They dispatched uh, Kiel with absolute ease, winning both legs. And so the difference between the the teams, like those two, three teams that uh, I'm talking about and every other team is that every single move they have in attack has so much purpose and has so much optionality. Like, that was really obvious in Veshprem versus Kielsa because Veshprem were just, they were horrific in attack. They were horrific tactically. They were fully reliant on individual play from the black backcourt. And, you know, they got some good individual play from the backcourt in both legs. It was Eldorad in the first leg. It was Remily in the second leg. Maya actually had a great game. But their moves and attack were so simple. They just kept doing these switches over the center, over and over again. It would just be the three backcourt players passing the ball to each other. And eventually one of them decides that this is just about good enough for me to get a shot away. And a lot of those shots went in, and they kind of stayed in there. But when you look at Kielsa doing the same type of movements, this applies to PSG and Barcelona as well. There is, there's three players moving in different directions simultaneously in a kind of, in a combined way, where a player receives a speed and he just has four options, whether it's pass it to the line, pass it to a curling player on the other side or someone else is going to come in into the middle and the ball is played at speed and the attacking player gets it at speed and no one has a chance. The way you describe it is kind of like a quarterback and and his options uh, at the beginning of a play in American football, except it's happening all the time, right? Exactly. So it's all these players running kind of mini routes uh, as they're supposed to in the action or maybe sometimes just completely random, but... Uh, always moving, always looking for the ball, always trying to create either options for themselves or for a teammate. Exactly. It, it, it was like beautiful to watch. Um, and yeah, and these teams have the both, both, both of, uh, best of both worlds. The, like the fast dynamic handball, the fast paced uh, counterattack that we have talked about. And, uh, you know, with players like Steins are, able to push the play Alex Dushabayev every single Barcelona player but when they do settle down they all know what's going on they've been coached in the right way where they know exactly the game plan and what every single move they're going to make is going to do and the options they have around them so they don't, don't become repetitive either they play a move but there's it can be different every single time and it was just evident in those teams, and on the flip side, it was evident how much that was lacking for Vesprem and Kiel. Um, and it just made a huge difference. Yeah, I think for Vesprem especially, it's one thing I noticed as well. <clears throat> it kind of felt like they just weren't 
playing with any width or the wings at all and it just felt like they were just making these switches at the backward and then when there was a timeout called and I was just thinking yeah you it was very obvious when it, when Momirelic took the timeouts he was just like alright let's switch back to 6-0 now it's not working and then uh, come on guys just uh, we, should, we have to really try and improve it, or try and stop them at every attack by attack alright let's go and I was like that's what you're saying when you're on the verge of making it to the final four and that's that's your tactical input I just thought it was a bit light and a bit I never really talked about the attack so so clear so defence focused and then it, when it came to the attack it was just like right lads go do your thing Hernedim just launch a few shoot a few shots there or Kenton you, you do something magical and uh, the lads in the wings just doing not, not being brought into play at all like you know and it, it's exactly that with the backer players because many times uh, they would just kind of come into attack and Kent Amaya would get the ball and he'd look at Lauga and be like, right, what are we doing now? Uh, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> in like, And this all happens kind of in, in head nods or hand signals or maybe one or two words, but it's not that they're moving up in exact direction. It's like, right, we, we've done this a lot of times. You know, what, what do you think is the best thing to do, Mr. Lauga Schmidt? Okay, let's let's try that. It's not a uh, attacking game plan uh, forged by the coach, but it's close enough to working enough times. And I think that's why it's not like they're this is a new thing necessarily. But it's you know it almost worked last week when they raced ahead for a point in the second half. The problem at the beginning of this game in the second leg was they played so within themselves, like you could see it, like the energy was just wasn't there in the backcourt at the beginning. And you went into good detail on that already, Alex. But despite all of that, you know, they're 18-12 down at half time, and they could easily have gone back to 18-16 after just four minutes of that second half. Like they got two goals in a row. They had two glorious opportunities to cut it back to two. And then all of this, like, oh, individuals creating magic, a little bit of chaos, you know, putting the uh, opposition under pressure, it could have worked out. But thankfully for uh, Kielce's sake, uh, they didn't have to worry about that situation because they uh, Vesperm didn't take their chances. And it was just such a messy second half then. Like the, after they, they missed those opportunities to cut the deficit, it slowly but surely got a little bit more desperate in and around the midway point of that second half. And uh, it just made life really easy for Kielce, who were the complete opposite of them. Like they, I think they had four or five different players who had scored three goals already towards the end of the first half. Just such a good variety as well in the attack. I don't think Vesper weren't helped really either by, I think, Rodrigo Corrales. I think he, he didn't really help. They needed someone maybe in certain points of the game or keeper to step up to, to get some saves, maybe to ease the pressure on them a little yeah. bit. But he had a bit of a howler, I think. And uh, I think Chupara came on for a little bit, but he only faced four shots and... There's no one really there to come in, and I mean, I think the the Kielsa keepers didn't really, they weren't exactly lighting it up either, but they didn't need to. No, um, they did, did enough to, to yeah. win that battle. But but Kielsa won it in the first ten minutes. They they raced ahead and just yeah. really coasted for the rest of the game. Yeah, there there was some small moments where uh, veterans seemed to give him momentum, but they were able to be closed down uh, very quickly or shut down very quickly, and. It, that is just I. That is down to Talented Shibaya because he knew that Veshprem, um basically the Veshprem backward players were going to be quite individual. They were not going to have the most advanced uh, moves. They're all good shooters. 
also on the line, uh, Andy Nielsen was playing, and he's not a good mover. So he's a fantastic line player. He kind of takes his position and uh, fights over uh, a defender, but he doesn't kind of take advantage of space. So Kielsa started with this really aggressive defense. They basically stepped out until nine meters with both um, number two defenders and really pressured Veshprem straight away. Mm. And Veshprem were trying to fight one-on-one because, again, they're more individual. So they're just trying to fight one-on-one with these number two defenders, whether it was Lauga or Remy Lee. And Nielsen wasn't moving or wasn't allowed to move to take advantage of the space that was created there. And then they just pushed their wingers in because, again, they know that Veshprem aren't going to pass to the wing. So they had like this huge center block that uh, was hitting the Veshram uh, backer players really early and just not giving them any space. And that's difficult to maintain for a whole game. So after 10, 15 minutes, they like put in this huge effort and then just retreated back, but the game was won. You went into what you were impressed by, Alex. Uh, you went into what disappointed you about Veshram. Can you really be disappointed by Kiel? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course you can be disappointed by Kiel. It's Kiel. This is the the best handball Kiel, club in but the world. Kiel didn't seem to be too disappointed in Kiel. That's 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 just bullshit. I, I'm calling bullshit here because like there's this whole like oh we don't really care we want the Bundesliga. They they have the Bundesliga one right now. Like they're playing four more games against weak opposition, relatively weak opposition. And, you know, it's Bundesliga, anything can happen, whatever. But they pretty much have the <laughs> Bundesliga won. And they're playing against PSG, who are in an insane title race at the moment. They've been playing, like, the French Cup. They've been playing really high-level competition in France. And PSG didn't uh, focus on the league, even though they're in this insane title race. So all of those excuses are just... Excuses. Excuses. It's 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 useless, and they should be. They should be the best team in the world, and they're not. And I I can't just say attitude is the only. They don't care. They do care. They definitely. Of course care. they care. Of course they do. This is what's funny about the whole thing. It's just like uh, Brian was showing me their Instagram account yesterday, and he's like, "Look at all the co- comments here." Just like one guy was angry, the rest were like, "Ah." You know, don't worry about it, guys. You know, we're Cup still keel. Head high, uh, you know. <laughs> we go again. It's like, no, you don't. You're gone. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. finished. Yeah, yeah. I just show, show a bit of... Show, I mean, you don't, you don't want to go Vesprem on them, but like, you know, show a bit of passion and a bit of anger. It's like keel lose in the Champions League. is like, ah, that's because we're playing in the best league in the world. And then if they went through, it's like, yeah. oh, of course, we're playing the best league in the world. Like, we're way better than these teams. It's yeah. like, it's, the, it's, the, it's a double, double-sided double excuse no matter what happens. So ex- excluding the 2020 um, the Final Four that they won, which was a unique uh, thing in itself, they haven't won a Champions League since 2012. Um, they've spent a couple of seasons outside, a season outside the Champions League. They've... Um, failed to reach the final four multiple times they're just not at the highest level and i think brian you put up a a a poll right about like are the top german teams really that good like they're they're good in this in their league because the average level is really high but 
are they, you know, actually at, at the highest level? Maybe that was a little bit harsh. It was kind of a 50-50 split in, in replies to that. Um, but there's some truth to it. Yeah. There was a, you were just poking the bear there, weren't you, Brian? <laughs> yeah, I just was, yeah. Because I just saw in the comments, I saw a few Kiel fans saying, oh, we only had one training to prepare for this. They had a whole week. And I was thinking, do you really think with a week's preparation, it would have been any closer? I don't think, I don't think necessarily it would have been. Again, like we had Yaya Omar telling us that it's better to be playing, you know, on a regular basis twice a week. And a lot of players say that. It's a, you, you can find excuses all the time. And I think mm. the biggest excuse, the biggest problem for them was Eric Johnson wasn't there. He was there their fountain of uh, youth and easy goals. That was the biggest problem for them. He wasn't there, but that happens. And I think it exposes... So Nicholas Andine just didn't have the greatest tie. So he played well in the first leg. He definitely played well. He didn't have... Second leg, he had a bad game. And that just exposed Kiel because every big victory in the Bundesliga they've had this year has been pretty much down to an, an insane Nicolas Sandin performance. So th- they're going to lose him next season. And I fear that they'll be completely explo- exposed as a kind of not that good of a team. And then what will the question be? You tell me, Do we Chris. need to? <laughs> <laughs> something, 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 Yisha. <laughs> People are going to think we have a real, we have a real agenda against Kiel as well. We're hammering we Mom, Mom, Illich before this, saying he's no tactical, he's tactical acumen, and now it's uh, Kiel. <laughs> all the all the old Kiel legends. The kind of going back to the kind of tactics talk for Kiel, and we've kind of said it a lot. They have they're just a bit too robotic. They don't have while they have a lot of movement, and they have a lot of options in like the different types of. Uh, attacking play calls that they go to so they you know they have a book of like a hundred like they're different in, in ways but it's not they don't have the optionality that the other teams that i talked about have where within one move there is five variations they just don't seem to play in that sort of way it's kind of let's go through a motion to get the ball and the defense positioned in the right spot for someone to shoot and um, it works all the time, but at the, the highest level, it's just like a step down from the, the masterclasses that we saw. And when Peter Overbu is your top scorer <laughs> in the second leg of a quarterfinal, then something has to be wrong. Hey, yeah. it's not Are Peter we... Overby's fault. He did his job. All right, yeah. hey, let's, let's give him some credit here. At least he got the goals. Uh, we were talking in the train yesterday, Chris, as well. Like, when's the next time we're going to see Sanders Sagerson in, in a Champions League quarterfinal? Next season with Kolstad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but we were looking at the squad for Kolstad. I mean, they're, they are at best a quarterfinal team. At very best, a quarterfinal team. Yeah, I mean, they might, they might be in the quarterfinal again. They won't be in the final four. Not for a while. But with nice uh, in, invigorated uh, Sander Sagerson, arrested Sag- Sander Sagerson. Yeah, I'd be more worried about his teammates. Uh, inter- it's interesting. Well, we'll mm. we'll go to that. We'll go to that another time <laughs> down the line. Uh, at the moment, they're they're still battling to try and win the Norwegian League. I think we can wrap this part up shortly. I was half expecting one of you to go. This is shite. Like, what a terrible set of quarterfinals uh, same old team same old teams and then I was going to hit you back with like 
we can't be angry at teams that have just been exceptional in the cases of Kielce and PSG. And I think they've been the anomalies in all of this that have really like have made a little bit one-sided. We got one really good quarterfinal and the Barca Giorgi one was as expected in the end. I mean, there could have been some miracle in the first leg. It didn't happen, so be it. In the wider picture, interestingly enough for the final four now, for the third year in a row, we have not just a different lineup, but half of the teams from the year before making it. So only two teams from last year are back this time, and only two teams from the year before are back this time. Uh, so it's showing a bit of variety, which I think is pretty uh, pretty good and pretty interesting. And overall, it feels like the right four teams, like, based on what we've seen in the quarterfinals. It's easy to say that now. You know, I think uh, a few of us expected more from Kiel and Vesprem, but having seen what we've seen, it feels like a good lineup. Ah, it's going to be unbelievable. I, I, I think so. And especially, I again, going back to that uh, one month of rest, because I, I was kind of, with Magdeburg, I was kind of like, ah, well done on getting through, but at least one semifinal is going to be a dud. But, you know, <laughs> players they're gonna win it now they're just they're gonna, gonna win it, it. Yeah. they're gonna win it I, i'm saying it. that's what i was thinking but uh well, we said that back in of... what was it february <laughs> yeah. right yeah, or even true. before that yeah they had the run and uh they're just a they're so, just warriors which is nice to get um there's a nice uh, like mix of teams as well um in in terms of you know, their playing styles or the fans or um, the type of players we'll see. So I'm really excited for the Final Four. The draw is on the on the 23rd. Tuesday. So, yeah. Who do you want to see for the semifinals being paired up? Who do you, or who do you not want to see? I mean, would you be annoyed if it was... I, I'm not really sure. Do, I, do you really want another Barca Kielce final? I'm not sure. I do. No, I wanna. I wanna have Kielce and Barca in one semi final. I wanna yeah. have PSG and Magdeburg in the other. I think that'll be the perfect lineup for me. Mm. I would like to see PSG versus Barca because right. I think that's the best opportunity for Barca to lose a semi final game against PSG. Um. Because again, I'm just so impressed by this PSG team. They're, oh, I know, they blew me away. Um, and I think they can, with Real Gonzalez, they can set up really well tactically and will have this kind of, um, yeah, tactical exchange of brilliance between uh, the two coaches, the two Spanish coaches. Um, and we all want to see Steins versus Kai Smith in the final, right? If you went back to the beginning of the season and would say that PSG and Magdeburg would be in the final, nobody would believe you. But there you go. It's great. Great sign of the... Because I think you kind of alluded to it. PSG at the beginning of this season, we I don't think we were giving much of a chance to. We thought they had really dropped the level, but it seems the more superstars they lose, the <laughs> better team they become. Plus, now they have Pedro Nanadic to just like <laughs> just add a little je ne sais quoi to the whole thing. Uh, yeah. How about you, Brian? Do you have a semi-final pairings you'd like to see? 
I just don't, I, I just feel like I don't want to stomach another Barca Kielsa final and then Barca winning it again. I just think that will be too much for me. Like I really don't want that. As much as I don't, I don't really mind Barca winning it, but a carbon copy of last season after filming all those Kielsa tears and I just can't handle that again. Can't handle uh, any more Polish tears. I can't handle those tears again because that that will happen. I feel like if it is a Barca Kielsa final once more, I feel it be very it could be very similar. So I think I think you just want to see. Kielsa Barca in the semi-final get that out of the way and then maybe uh, maybe a, a PSG Barca final that'd be quite tasty not giving Magdeburg any chance here but you know who all knows the, the, all the it's a final four no matter what happens yeah. it, can be, it can be really really good uh, and yeah a month away pretty much exactly we're recording this on Thursday night right after the games the final will be in exactly a month's time all right, I think we can wrap it up for the quarterfinal chat. Any parting words? No? Yes, maybe. I have one hot take, and that is, is Simon Sichko the best left back in the world right now? Oh, wow. No. I think he's a, he's a people's <laughs> champion, though. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I just said, Simon Pitlick. What's Simon Pitlick? What happened to him? <laughs> I know, but he's out Simon of the Champions Pitlick. League. You've, got, you've forgotten about him. But Simon Pitlick is like... He has way more potential for sure, and he's going to be better than him. But at this exact moment, but like also has some flaws at ah, the biggest wait, stage. It, yeah, but right now, if wait, if we're saying that Simon Pitlick was the best player of the World Championship, we're saying Simon Pitlick was the best player for the majority of the Champions League so far this season. And then after one one game, no, no, <laughs> no, but, but, but takes we his place. No, I'm just like uh, we've seen. Putlick, I don't know, Alex. Seen, I don't seen, think so. No, but we've seen Pitlick, um hit a bit of a wall this season. The same in the Danish Championship. Like, Geo Gay and Simpelik haven't been as good. So, like, I'm not saying that if I was going to start a team today, I would... Uh, this season? <laughs> Alex, you barely knew him four months ago. I can't, I can't bullshit on this conversation. No, you're not the start of it. You're like, the start of it. You're like is he the best in the world? To. And then you're sitting right now, and it's like, I wouldn't put him starting on my team, though. You know, Simon <laughs> Sitchko. Uh, I don't know. Oh God! All right. Well, we'll see. Uh, he's great. Yeah. He's, just, but, he's uh, steady Eddie, isn't yeah. he? Steady Eddie. He's steady Eddie. He's gone beyond that. He's gone beyond. Well, steady Eddie. if he wins the final four for them, then uh, gorgeous George. We'll see. Let's <laughs> see. <laughs> uh, right. Well, that was that was a real hot take. Yeah, I'll give you that one. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, uh, on to the final part of the live show we had uh, with our wonderful guests on the celebration of 200 episodes, Courtney Gain, Rasmus Boysen, and Yaya Omar. And as I mentioned uh, in the previous intro, congratulations again to Edwara Amarim, who uh, was on her way to the hospital having her baby uh, when she was supposed to join us in the live show. And because we had such an international lineup, we wanted to... Uh, take a little bit of a detour in the conversation towards the end and talk about handball as a world sport and what we can do, what is being done, what people would like to see in the sport to make it less Eurocentric and uh, help develop areas that are already quite exciting and areas such as Asia and the USA that we'd like to see more from the sports. 
We did have two. We're only halfway through the show, but we'll be going for two hours. So I don't think we will uh, we will force you to be here for much longer. I just want, I want to ask, because I think we have an interesting collection of people here about, you know, the handball is a global sport. And uh, just to get your perspectives on, on what you feel is needed. It, may, it can be a small thing. It can be a big thing. It can be a dream or something that you think could really be achieved in the next few years to help this sport become ever more global and not so much focused on, on Europe as it is at the moment. And uh, it would have been really nice to have Duda here as well as uh, one of uh, just two teams who have ever won a world championship uh, that from a non-European team. Uh, but Yaya, as an Egyptian who's now been in Europe the last couple of years and someone who knows a lot about the, the state of the sport, also in the past, uh, how do you feel about this? What what would you like to see done? I think there's a lot, a lot that can be done, but uh, I'd like to give an example what I saw now because uh, now in Egypt there there has been a couple of years they're making uh, something called the, the ball. It's from the NBA, and they make like they organize the whole African championships for clubs. And they do it every time, uh, every year in, in one country. Uh, past two years has been here. And they sponsor everything. They do the designs. They come uh, with, they send some players, like old players, like Dwayne Wade was here. And uh, it's actually amazing for basketball because, you know, basketball in Egypt is not like so, so big. But in Africa, is it's really big. And for, for, for Africa to have like a base that the NBA comes, sponsors the whole tournament and they bring some some famous uh, players who were in the past were there and, and help the, the, the continent just grow and maybe scout some players that can come back play in some better leagues. I think the Champions League can actually do the same, you know. They can start to help and offer a little bit and with other continents or countries just out of media and awareness that that uh, they can say see some other players or it's really easy to do like this collaboration where where some athletes can come and i'm sure it would be supported also by, by our countries you know not only by by european countries but by by africans or south americans or it would be amazing to have like one big event where where a lot of handball ex handball players can come and and you know how fans here are really crazy about it and it would be amazing to have some big event every one year couple of years that that brings handball more here and you know handball has been growing here so much especially in Egypt in the past couple of years and I see that uh, a lot of work can be done not not only by players. You know, players and 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 coaches and this are doing the the maximum they can. But other people can make a lot of better jobs doing this stuff to to make handball use this uh, love that people have now for handball and and for for the players that are playing and and use it to do some some things to raise awareness around the game and, and around the sport in general. 
Yeah, I mean, what Yaya talked about, uh, totally those kinds of projects. I've seen like Major League Baseball have also done similar things where they're trying to grow their sport. The The difference with like the NBA and an MLB versus Champions League is that it's happening in one country and Champions League is obviously like... So, so it's just, um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't hope for that. that that's a great... Uh, those kinds of initiatives can be really important. I see the... Um, the biggest thing is like awareness. I think, okay, to, for handball to be more global, we need the non-European teams to be more competitive. That means we need their continental championships to also be more competitive. And for me, that comes down to mainly increasing participation um, so that our national teams, like in Australia, there's not a lot of competition to be in the national team. The more players you have, the better your national teams can be. And for me, it does actually come back to the Champions League being like a really important thing right now because um, people in Australia, for example, they have vaguely heard of handball. But if you're a little kid in Australia, you don't know that you can be a handball star and play on a court in front of fans and things like that. Any Australian kid, you tell them to play a rugby game, they know what rugby looks like. They know they could be a famous rugby player if they want to. I think that's a really important thing to get people interested in handball, to get kids and young people interested in handball, is that they see the top level more. And that's why for me, like the very first easiest thing is like just for more people to see it on TV and on social media and stuff and that's what motivates me in our media work that we can really try to show people this game that they might not have heard of and that it's much bigger than they thought and hopefully that can inspire some young kids to want to play and build like that that's my main thing particularly now with Brisbane 2032 really coming up close and Australia having another golden opportunity to to push the sport um, it's more important than ever. Yeah, absolutely. And we already, they had a come and try day in Brisbane last year and all the kids were saying handball was their favorite. I've never met anyone who tried handball and didn't say that they loved it. So it's really, I think, just an awareness that it exists. It's like the first thing in countries like, I think that um, there are a lot of places like Australia where it's just not that known. And that's a really important thing. I have to say, I totally agree with both of them. Uh, I could talk about this in 10 hours or something like that. <laughs> it's very interesting and it's very, very important for Ambold to expand. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's it's difficult. There's a lot of things who could be done. In the end, it's all about money, I think. Uh, but um, I would also like that more major championship would be played outside of Europe and outside of Scandinavia and everything like that. It's the same uh, places we play uh, year in, year out, and I don't think that's good. I really hope that uh, it could develop handball in, in Africa when the World Championship uh, were going to be played in, in Egypt. And then Corona, of course, fucked everything up. That that sucks. But but I think that's in the, in the future that will be very, very important that we get some of the uh, world championships uh, to be played outside of Europe and also outside of Scandinavia. And it's it's pretty much the same countries. 
where it's played. So uh, I think that's important. Yeah. But that's, there's a lot of things uh, who could be done. Uh, I just hope, I, and I also think that we see, uh, we have a great opportunity with uh, social media and everything like that to to get awareness outside of Europe. Uh, we see uh, some uh, pretty uh, interesting projects uh, Yeah, in India, in the US, and of course in Africa, in North Africa, a lot of stuff happened. Uh, I would like to see uh, to see maybe a better Super Globe uh, tournament. Uh, I would like to see maybe uh, some clubs from outside of Europe uh, to be able to play in European competitions. It's possible uh, when you play the European Championship with with nations from outside of Europe, actually. So why not try to to let uh, two North uh, African clubs, two Asian or something like that, two uh, two South American clubs participate in in Europe, uh, maybe in the future. I have a question now from from what Rasmussen uh, and yeah, I guess the the uh, in-house professional players. Like when you talk about like social media spreading the the brand of handball to maybe grow around the world, would you like to see it to go the way that basketball has went, where they've kind of almost created a caricature of every player, and then probably to the extreme where they're turned up on as like a a fashion catwalk every time they turn up the games. I'm not sure it suits handball as much as basketball, but it's it's one direction you could go. Or is it more kind of along the lines of rugby where it's more the collective of the team and what you do with some star players? Because I think it's a it's a big it's a big problem in handball that when you go to a game like today, what I was at, uh Bucharesti versus uh Esberg, it's Nora Mork and Christine Niagu, and then it's everybody else. And it feels like the gap between those those two and the popularity within one team is absolutely massive. Similar to what you would have with Nikola Karabat Karabatic on the men's side as well, um, with his popularity kind of and, and Michael Hansen, golf and everybody else's. Should we try and bridge that gap a little bit more with some of the secondary players? Or I think which, which, which direction is it? I think not. I think this is, in all the team sports, this is what makes people love it, you know. You look at football, you're not going to say, yeah, you're going to say, I love Barcelona, I love Real Madrid, but you're also going to say, yeah, I love Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah, people get attached to the idols, to these guys. They want to hear everything about them, not only football, you know, not only the sport that they play. They want to know how they eat, how they do uh, funny stories about their lives. It's interesting to have idols and it's interesting to have stars. I think this is what made the like NBA and basketball so so amazing because they made it a, a, like a basketball culture, you know, how they speak about each other, you know. They, they speak about each other so high, like you feel that this guy is like doing some something really amazing. That, but we don't speak about our, our players like this in handball. We don't have this culture. If you go on, on YouTube or Google, like one good old player, you're, you're, not, you're gonna find, I don't know, five videos for Kim Anderson on YouTube. You know, it's, it's just this stuff matters. And yeah, some actually some players, in handball who are playing now on, on good level, they don't even have accounts on social media, they don't care so much. And and this has to be, I know that in some countries they pushed for it and, and they are more aware now of social media, but this should be also in, in, in a lot of countries and in Champions League, because this is, this branding is, is really important. That, People follow you because because these guys are like important in life, not only important in the sixty minutes that they will see maybe once a year or, or once every couple of months. 
that they become an uh, uh, like an identity that you're walking there. It makes you popular, famous. You know, people get attracted to handball this way, and I think this is what we should push more to, not push against. That we should make our stars seem bigger. You know, not like average. Uh, for 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 the for the regular life, you know, not for for in, inside the sport, everyone is a star. Okay, inside, if you talk to a young handball player, he's gonna speak about all the handball, good handball players, amazing. But I mean that you would be walking randomly in in a street somewhere, and they would see a handball player, and they would be, oh wow, this guy is a handball player, and they'd be like, like this. I take I take Brazil uh, in uh, I think Brazil example for for the world in this chance Brazil is a country that mostly is uh, they it's mobile data they use phones for everything computer was not a thing massified but phones was so every time a player gets a new transfer every time they go for the first division or even for example a coach that comes from Europe doesn't have a, a social media account they make the social media account immediately on all platforms. They they hire a marketing company just to do that and to manage that. So imagine, like Yeo was saying, like imagine this to all the players playing in Brazil, the first division in football, they do this to every single one of them. And every time, for example, they got called to a national team, a new player is called to a national team, every time they put a video with the family, just celebrating and stuff. And this is like, you were saying, Omar, this is the, the type of content that people love, that uh, people connect to. They feel that, oh, he's a great player. He's just called national team and he's celebrating with his entire family. Like it was the biggest thing ever that happened in his life, you know? And I see the Brazil example for this, for all the social media and marketing. They are above us in almost everything. They take a lot of examples from the US in this uh, entertainment and social media marketing. A lot of them has to come from the players themselves, doesn't it? I mean, Michael Hansen, one of the best players of our generation, he does not like doing social media stuff. Like he likes posting the odd random picture of him not smiling every now and again. Doesn't like doing interviews. Doesn't like talking to people. And he's one of the best players to ever do it. So like, if he's not going to do it himself, you can't force him to do it, you know? So it has to really, I think a lot of well, you can't, players... You can't, force them, you can't force them. Maybe I also don't care so much about posting about this and that, but you think all the football players do they don't but they get money for it this is why they do mm -hmm. it. if yeah. some company wants him to to do some stuff for for a lot of money he's gonna do it he's not gonna mm -hmm. be posting every once in a while and this is yeah, true. a cool part about our job you know uh, you, yeah. you're gonna find some players posting a lot because they get they have sponsors not because mm -hmm. they love social media big tk man does love social media though he's exceptions it's a girl i think it, it this is actually where uh was going to be my big point you have to elevate the players and you know we talked about hansen and karabatic but we know them everyone knows them as stars but can anyone remember like an iconic quote an iconic kind of action from them except for a bit of match fixing you know something where they've you know they've gone in and you know proved a statement and it became an iconic movement and i don't know it's, it's obviously difficult with the different languages and that kind of 
it doesn't translate as well. But if you can elevate elevate players and put them in positions where they are forced to make, you know, statements, uh, commitments, uh, amazing, and they back it up with their play because they always back it up with their play. So and everyone follows them because of their play. So you kind of you you build an aura around them, um, and that brings the sport up. You you have uh, people who might just know this one player, but they might tune in to watch him in the World Championship once, in the Olympics a second time, and then in the Champions League final the third time, and it builds. I've, I've actually won, like, maybe one last question. I don't know how much longer we're going to go for, but maybe this could be one of, one of the last ones anyway. Yeah. Uh, kind of a, like, in terms of like marketing the sport as a thing, it's always a big topic when you work for various federations about showing the roughness of handball versus it being a beautiful thing. And I don't, what, what do you think as handball players, like, do you want to market it as handball is a really tough sport? Like, yeah, you get injured, you got to pop your finger, you have, you're wearing tape, you have a knee support on, or do you try to avoid that? Because a lot of people would argue then that that's how you get kids to play handball in the first place because it looks like this beautiful thing and parents are going to be less judgeful of it. Or which direction do you go? Do you, do you lean into the, the rough side of handball or do you, do you, do you try to stay away from it? Because I personally think leaning into it would be a better thing. I'm with you, Brian. I think I I don't really agree with uh, trying to con- conceal or <laughs> not show the sport fully. That's part of it. And like, how many sports are there that also have some physical contact that everyone's very aware of it and it doesn't stop people playing? Um, I think it's part of the game and I think it should be shown. You know, there is a lot of talk about arguably the two heaviest hitting sports in terms of contact, uh, American football and rugby, uh, and parents being against, the, like in the future, not allowing their children to play, people kind of leaning against it because of its, let's say, over-physicality. In handball, it's not to that extent. I think there's a nice balance in the sport between it being this kind of controlled aggression sport where there are injuries, of course, like in every sport, but it's not like you're smacking your head against the opposition over and over again, only if you're a goalkeeper and you get the ball to your head. But I mean, that's an active thing that is being worked against in the rules as well. So yeah, I like the I like promoting the physicality and the, the rough and ready side of it. What about uh, you, Rasmus? Yeah, I also love it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's difficult. I think if the content is good enough, for me, it doesn't matter if it's the stars or everything like that. But I think that every handball player, every star player, every professional player, they need to uh, to help develop handball. And I don't think that all the players around uh, the handball world, uh, the top players, they are not that good. They they like to see uh, basketball, and that's also, of course, okay. And they like to talk about football, but they also need to talk about handball. They also need to talk about the legends in handball if we want handball to, to become bigger, I think. So I think that we can learn a lot from from basketball, from football, uh, to try to focus uh, on our own sport and try to to develop it and make it even bigger. And Yahia, on the physicality side, how do you feel about it? I think also, I think it makes handball special. It makes it uh, a bit unique from uh, from basketball and volleyball. People like to see it. People like to see how intense we are and how how you can be physically uh, like a little bit active, but also not dangerous. So I think, yeah, if we set the rules that no, no, no stupid thing, no pushing in the air, 
no uh, no kicking no stuff like this then it's perfect and i think it's it makes handball unique uh, than other sports we're hitting each other but we're not also injuring anyone and you can and in this uh, stuff uh, physical stuff you can see how people get flair you know and and have some skills that they can show against the strong guys who are hitting it makes handball look uh, nice to watch you know Good stuff. Uh, so uh, Patrick has thrown in a question here, which we will uh, we will ask before we let you all go. Hand, handball has a foothold in North Africa and uh, the Middle East. Uh, which region is the next most important for the future of the sport? The Americas or Asia? Answers and uh, and a short and a short sentence on why. Uh, oof. I mean, look, I, I don't want to pick just one, um, but if I was going to say which one should we tackle first, maybe I would go Americas, um, partly because already in South America, Hamble has a very good position actually in some countries in terms of participation and some decent leagues, Argentina, Brazil, um, and as there's a conversation about TV, Hamble on TV in the US, uh, that's also one of the things I see as extremely important. Um, unfortunately, like, I mean, <laughs> I wish it wasn't like that, but I'm sure that if the US developed in handball, there are other countries that would see it and be more interested. So I do think that, yeah, the Americas is probably our most important target. Anyone, anyone feeling Asia or Yahya? Go ahead. No, no, I agree with, with exactly what you, what you said. It's a bigger opportunity and also uh, already it's based there with South America and this. So I think it's, it's better to, to have it there. Now, Alex, you're looking forward to the Indian Premier Handball League. <laughs> it's the next next generation Indian Premier Handball League. It's coming uh, in June. Uh, that's going to be next level. Uh, but yeah, now being based in the US, uh, it is still, you know, we talk about kind of breaking it as a sport, but it's just such a minor sport here. The nationals, the official nationals are actually going on this weekend. There's about 25 teams at it, mostly expats. And it's just a, a big slog of how you actually break it. Um, there's no real support from kind of the grassroots level. There's no grassroots strategy in the same way that like the UK approached it. They approached it really well from a grassroots sense. Um, there's no kind of cohesive strategy on that. It's all about kind of the top level. And, you know, the, the only thing that you can do, I think, is if you just, someone puts in money, starts a league in the US, and all the best European players go over here, that might cause some waves. But, you know, what? how does that actually fit into the growth of the sport as a whole? Um, I, I'm not really sure. So it would be amazing to break um, the Americas, but I, I just don't quite see a route for it right now. Um, while I think Asia actually does have a, a more core presence that can be grown and marketed in the right way to really expand quite rapidly. Um, so yeah, Americas would be the, the ideal but uh, the better route route could be um, Asia. So. Mm. 
I guess I would just say that, like with football, they did quite a good job of that in the US, right? With their football league, so we, there's kind of already a model there that could be followed if there was uh, money for it. Also, something I think that's interesting about finding a way to develop handball in the US. Um, well, first of all, they, I'm sure if it became big enough, there would be money to develop, like to really help it take off. But also, that would be a really interesting example then for countries that have the same geographical challenges like the U- the you can't really the US is so different from the UK with the many states and all this sort of stuff and there are a few countries that have those same geographical barriers um and maybe if we could get it right in one country it would be really helpful to countries like Australia and Canada yes yeah. Um, and Dominic saying there, uh, played in New York City for many years. Uh, the team there organized an annual event with European top stars. Yeah, I believe that's coming back uh, as well. Maybe next year. I was speaking to the organizer uh, of that beanie, uh, Mustafa, at the World Championship. But uh, hey, it's been uh, two hours and 15 minutes, folks. I think it's time <laughs> to say goodbye. <laughs> uh, thank you so much everyone uh for joining us for this celebration of our 200th episode uh special thanks to yaya omar rasmus boyson courtney gayen and even eduarda amarim who couldn't be here for this but will make it up to us uh with a special guest of her own hopefully at some point in the future and thank you to everyone who joined for uh this live recording on the sunday evening we really appreciate your contributions and, and just being here uh, to celebrate with us and everyone who's listening as well on the recorded version of the podcast as well. Thank you all for your support over the last 200 episodes. Uh, let's look forward to the next 200. Huh? <laughs> let's see how long that takes. Uh, I've one but, question. Hey, hey go Hills, are you uh, Ellie Rice? That's a relation to Ellie Rice. That's... Um, yes, I'm the aunt. Oh my God, Gunhills! Oh. <laughs> it's fantastic. Thank you for thank you for joining us, and uh, well, congratulate Henny for us. Thank you, I will. <laughs> and we will maybe for the next big uh, celebration, we'll have Henny on as well. She's a lovely person to talk to. But yeah, thank you so much to Gunhills and to everyone who uh, watched live with us. And yeah, we'll call it a night. We'll talk to you all next time. Goodbye. Okay, so there you have it. That was a snippet from our live show that we had a few weeks back. Thanks to all the guests once again. Chris, we forgot to mention that you did run into a very uh, lovely Patreon subscriber at the Magdeburg game who brought up a very interesting story that I had way back when I visited Magdeburg the first time with my lovely taxi driver, Uli. It was not my story to tell, actually. You met him. (laughs) <laughs> you, just said, you just told the whole story Brian that's fine <laughs> <laughs> I had like, it in my oh, head that his name is Ollie Mitten but that's the that's the Faroese player I'm thinking Ollie Mitten yeah, that, yeah. that'd be like you saying coming up to somebody and said uh, guess what Alex has great news to tell can you see the can you see the engagement ring in his finger go on Alex you tell him <laughs> <laughs> or or that time at the final four I was like 
Uh, Alex is big news he's moving to the US Alex tell him the big news <laughs> <laughs> that actually did happen <laughs> it's actually how my dad asks questions my dad will like, <laughs> we'll have Skype calls or like calls and he'll be like so how's work going it must be pretty busy right now you're probably doing loads of projects and then you're you know you probably have a bit of time in the evenings you're playing handball right you're training every uh, like every couple of days and I, like, are you going to have a match yeah that, that match probably gonna go well <laughs> uh, yeah actually uh, an incredibly uh, special patreon the first person to sign up and pay on patreon ola bola from germany lives just outside of magdeburg uh came up to me at halftime in the game and uh, he said have you have you guys met yannick green's uh, neighbor this time in the taxi uh, what a great callback to Brian's story about the taxi driver. Right right there and then, I knew, ah, he's a good fan of the podcast. And yeah, we had a nice chat, Ola and I, a uh, big Magdeburg fan. And now he's got a big uh, decision to make, because I asked, like, what if you make it to the Final Four, are you going? And he's like, I really want to, but my mother's birthday is on the Saturday. So, yeah, I would say, Ola... Uh, She's going to be disappointed. If you ask us, <laughs> go, you know, your yeah, mother's ha- birthday ha- happens ha- once a year. Exactly. And Magdeburg are into the final four for the first time ever. Ah, yeah. So uh, easy decision to make, I would say. Uh, thank yeah. you so much, Ola, for your support and for coming up to say hello. Uh, always nice to, to meet people who uh, listen to the podcast and uh, are fans. So if you ever run into any of us, do feel free to, to come over. We're not scary. Um there was the, the person on the bus a while ago who didn't say hello to me, but then sent me a message on Instagram. Christian Freinander, who uh, was who had the, the crying child on the bus uh, with his partner. And he said he didn't have the guts to approach me in real life to thank, thank us for the great work in the podcast. We're not that scary. We're almost as friendly in real life as we are in the podcast. Uh, so yes, thank you to everyone for the support. And we'll be back next week with another show and another morning club episode until then take care goodbye